Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. This is episode number 33, and make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss any new episodes. Today, my guest is Sarah Kustak, who's the host of a terrific podcast called NBA Flashback that revisits some of the best moments throughout NBA history. This week, she looks back at Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. Since the podcast is produced by the NBA, Sarah has access to content from the NBA vault, and she got to speak to players such as James Harden, Clay Thompson, and Anthony Davis about that legendary performance. Sarah, thanks for joining me. How are you? Alex, wonderful. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to pick your brain about this episode and just Wilt's 100-point game in particular. I know that you had exclusive access to the NBA vault, which has tons of content in it, including uh, interviews with Wilt. What was it like having access to that? I'm sure that made things very uh, exciting. Alex, I, let me tell you that I may never come out of the vault. I mean, listening <laughs> to so much of this stuff, and um, it has just been uh, an extraordinary honor to be able to do this podcast, NBA Flashback, because of that and because of the classic moments throughout the course of the NBA and all the amazing people that I work with um, at iHeart Podcast and iHeart Media and Peter and Grace are, are two people um, that have been so important to me and, and important to producing this podcast and doing so many of the hard work and the tough work and going through uh, a lot of it. But I, I just think it's fascinating for so many of us who love the NBA and love thinking about how the league has gotten to the point where it's at and, and so many of the important figures um, in it, obviously Wilt being one of those, but just getting an opportunity to kind of see how things come together in some of those moments and dig a little bit deeper. Those that I think I remember and then I go back to and I'm like, oh, maybe as a as an 18-year-old kid, I don't remember it the same way I'm watching now. And then obviously, of course, some of those before we were born, um, getting a chance to really de- dig deep into. One thing you and I were just talking about is that, you know, if a play happens today, millions of people see it, they see the replay, it's all over social media. Back when Wilt scored 100 points, there was only a little over 4,000 people in attendance. It wasn't on TV. So it's very hard to find people who actually witnessed this in person or even, you know, I've seen clips from it because there's not really a whole lot of, you know, clips from the performance. So, I mean, how hard is it to put together a podcast like this when you don't have people that you can just go right to and ask, you know, what was it like being there? But then also, I mean, I just find that so insane that so few people are actually there. Yeah. And I think the interesting part there was um, a soundbite from Wilt that's in the podcast of him talking about saying that I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said that I saw the game. I was at the game. 
I was in New York City. I was at Madison Square Garden. I was wow. in Philadelphia. And he's like, no one ever says they were in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Right. They didn't even realize. Um, and he said it in a way that uh, he smiled. So it just makes me realize how much that 100-point game resonated with people and, and how much they thought of it, of, of him achieving that milestone and, and having that moment. But I do think that's the crazy part because imagine you know, now, especially in the age of social media and what technology looks like, if someone's starting to hit a 50 point game or, you know, the, the tick of some, think about the camera, think about the coverage, think about the way Twitter would blow up or uh, you name it. And so the concept that this all happened in a place where not only the, the few amount of fans, there was no television broadcast, there was barely any media there. Um, just the significance of the game for both of these teams was, was not much at that point of the season. And so thinking about what the coverage is like today and the way in which um, we are on, every big moment or every big game or, or score watching point watching uh it, it's really it's really crazy to think about that this happened in a place and in a space um that was really so anonymous at that point what are some things that you learned while researching this i mean obviously again you had access to the vault you talked to a lot of different people are there any things that you took away that you found really interesting that you know you, you didn't know before researching this I think um, just the idea of Wilt, I think for for so many of us who love the game and, and love the NBA and think about, um, you know, think about this moment, we think about that iconic picture of him holding up the 100. And that's something that I think anyone ha has seen. But to actually think about Wilt himself, his game and uh, Gary Pomerantz, he, he was kind enough to join and, and really give a full insight. And he talked about just the different iterations of Wilt throughout the course of his career, the younger part of his career, um, the middle part where he led the NBA, led the, the league in assists, which, you know, in my head, I, I didn't. I didn't realize that that was part of, of what he did, his time with the Lakers, uh, and just understanding his game and how he played the game and, and hearing him, hearing his teammates talk about his mindset, his idea that despite the fact, you know, he's 7'1", 260, whatever he was, with an incredible amount of size, strength, athleticism, um, how important it was for him to also showcase the skill of his shooting and why, you know, he had certain spots on the floor and uh, what he did to really showcase that it wasn't just about him being a big, his, his true basketball talents. And so I think the more you listened to him, the more you watched his game, uh, the more you tried to find highlights. That to me really stood out. And, and we know the storytelling and, and the storytelling of um, some of the larger than life features and aspects and, and character traits that he brought to the table. But I think just for himself as a basketball player and how much we respect who he was and uh, the the hours and the effort he poured into his craft and into the game. To me, that, that was the fun stuff of kind of learning the different aspects of his game and why, um, why he approached things and had the mentality that he did. You talked to some current players like uh, James Harden, Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis uh, about that 100-point game and kind of got their thoughts on it. I thought Clay had an awesome comment about it saying, you know, I scored 60 points in 29 minutes. The thought of even scoring 40 more, which is basically a whole other amazing performance in and of itself, it's just almost impossible to even fathom that it's hard to even process how that happens. And he doesn't think that record would be broken again. You know, what were some of the takeaways from the current players who they know firsthand how hard it is to score even 40, 50 points in a game? What were some of the takeaways from them, you know, when you talk to them about the 100 point game? Yeah, I love that. And full disclosure, Alex, because I don't want to take credit for things I didn't do. That was that was with great help from the league in, in mm. securing some of those interviews. Um, but to your point about, I mean, for Clay and the way Clay categorized that, 
and you thought about that, what he did. And um, I'm trying to think who pointed to, it might've been Kemba Walker who pointed to Clay being um, one of the ones who we thought might be able to do it. Uh, or maybe it was Anthony Davis, but, but listed off a handful of players. But to think about the fact of Clay saying, I, I would have still needed a 40 40 piece in a fourth quarter of a get like that. That's just really amazing to think about. And I think too, Spencer Dinwiddie was a player who talked about the concept of, you know, whether you think about Kevin Durant being one of those players that can do it, Steph Curry, whoever it is, it, oftentimes in a game, you would be out of the game by the fourth time. I mean, similar to what we saw with Clay, given the score, given the way things were, you wouldn't still be playing in that game. And I think that was the interesting thing I learned with uh, Wilt and throughout the course of that season, the idea that he averaged 50 points or more than 50 points per game. He averaged more than 48 minutes per game throughout the course of that year. So he only did not play, let me say this right, a little over eight minutes throughout the entire season. Like that is, that is wild. And so he was able to average over four because of overtimes. And it's like Mm -hmm. the amount of time that is pouring in to think about the travel, think about everything that goes along with it. Those, that's the stuff that I'm like, man, that's really, really interesting. And even watching, you know, obviously people go back to Kobe and what he was able to do as a shooter in those games. And, um, you know, we've seen some really big games from Devin Booker, but the concept of 100 and in hearing what players thought or how that would evolve. I think D'Angelo Russell tossed in the fact that maybe if they have a four point line one day that 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 would happen but but even you know even thinking about Wilt did it without you know without threes like this is this is entirely based on you know two pointers and free throws and and that's really special yeah the minutes per game you know playing 48.5 minutes per game that's one of my favorite little trivia facts that I throw out there because you know it doesn't make sense when you first hear it that he averaged more than a regulation (laughs) game but like you said with the overtimes and fun fact the only reason he didn't play those other eight minutes because he was ejected you know he never sat in the bench once that season he just couldn't play because he got ejected because he was actually ejected yeah it's crazy I mean it's wild and it was 80 games it's not like we're talking about you know a shorter season he played 80 games it's crazy Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of putting that all into perspective. And again, just um, how different you can imagine the travel would be and the accommodations or just what that looked like and how guys played. And um, it's, it's something that, um, you know, really sheds light just on, on the league and where it's at and the changes and just how much growth has happened, but just uh, you know, what Wilt did um, not only on the floor, but just how he was able to really capitalize on playing and how much he loved to play and how much he wanted to be on the floor. Yeah, he also averaged 27.2 rebounds per game in 1960. I mean, like, you look at, he has multiple unbreakable records when you look through NBA history, but you bring up a great point. You know, he did this while, you know, wearing Converse shoes without the kind of sports technology and advancements that we have today. Rick Barry, we actually interviewed him recently, and he made the argument, you know, he always hears people saying, oh, the competition was bad, and he was playing against plumbers and mailmen, and, and there's always fans today that kind of say that kind of stuff, but he argued if you gave past stars, you know, the today's sports science and year-round training and things like that, they would be amazing players because they had all the fundamentals and, you know, they were able to dominate in that era. And he thinks that they'd be able to play just as well today. What do you make of that debate over, you know, I think you have some fans that give these guys way too little credit. And then you have some that say they would be amazing today. Where, where do you kind of fall in that spectrum? I fall, I, I find it really challenging and tough and something I don't like to do in comparing different generations um, sure. or different eras, because I think it is all relative to 
to your point, to so many different variables and circumstances that everyone is in those same set of circumstances as you grow and as you evolve. So to that point, if you were to pluck Wilt Chamberlain and put him in this era with all of these things and the resources and everything, I can't even imagine, you know, he would be unstoppable. And I think the same goes for players going back in a different era. Everything, you know, everything grows, everything evolves in a different way. This is not just about sports. You look at, you know, we talk about technology. We talk about, you know, science, education, information, you know, so much research that people do. No matter what happens, um, there is always a process of evolution. And so often you are a product of what you're surrounded rounded with and in what you have, um, you know, what you have um, access to. And so that's why I, I think it's really hard to make any comparisons. But when I look at elite, elite level players or great players, um, those that are truly special in, in any era, I, I have a strong belief that if, if they were picked up and plucked and put in another era, they would, they would find a way to be um, just as dominant and just as successful. You mentioned, you know, the picture of him holding the piece of paper with 100 written on it uh, and how that wasn't on the court. Um, can you kind of tell the story behind that picture or things that you may have learned, you know, throughout your research with this about that picture? Because it really is the only moment we have from that night. Uh, you know, what, what are some things that you kind of took away from that? Yeah, like I just I think it's interesting. Well, in the big um, the story about Harvey Pollock and just the different jobs he had in the night and in scorekeeping and, and trying to, you know, do so many different things and starting to document the um, all the baskets and all the moves and how Wilt was scoring these different points. But just uh, the concept of there not being a box score, there not being media, um, there not being the all these things that I know, you know, coming into some regard of people having questions about or, or taking a look at. But I think just that idea of, you know, okay, we're going to put, we're going to take a picture. We need to document this in some way. We're going to take a picture of this and, um, you know, write a hundred on it. And now to watch how we continue to see that, that picture and the iconic nature of that picture when, you know, it, it's really wild to think about, you know, where we're at now and what would happen if someone scored 100 points um, or what you would do for them or the different pictures you have on the court, all of that stuff, uh, that, that that is the memory of it and that's the look we have of it. And so I, I think it's, it's just telling, obviously, 60 years ago, so a long time ago, but just really telling how much has changed, um, yet how in some ways, you know, things are, are just classic and evergreen and, you know, live on that. Now we see different players, you know, when they have big games or something, they'll, they'll take pictures of it or they'll, they'll do some things. Um, because no matter who you are, if you, you cover, li- cover the league, watch the league, um, that's a picture that, that you have ingrained in you. So we talked about, you know, Clay, D'Angelo, their thoughts on this. Do you think we'll ever see this record broken? That's a great question that I thought a lot about as we're asking people and as you kind of listen to different answers. I, I, I have a hard, if, if nothing changes in terms of rules, in terms of timing, in terms of everything, I have a hard time thinking that anyone will ever get 100 points. And, and maybe the natural answer is yes. Um, but I think in any game, I, I would err on the side of if someone is nearing 100 points, I... I'm not sure that the game would be close enough to keep them in uh, or to have them keep playing. And I think there is such a great amount of, um, you know, respect in this game for uh, it's not always about point chasing or, or record chasing or things like that. And I'm not sure anyone would get close. I mean, I, yeah, Alex, I don't want to say a hard no, but I, I yeah. think that's something that, that, that may stand for a very, very long time. 
that's how I feel too. I feel like the minutes per game record, the rebounds per game record, and this 100 won't ever be broken because it is such a different league today. And, you know, even if a team set out for whatever reason, they were, you know, bottom of standings and they were like, hey, let's try to break this record. I don't think you could do it in today's NBA, even with three pointers and everything like that. It would be very, very difficult. You know, you look at how hard it was for Devin Booker to go off or Kobe scoring one. Like, I, I just don't think it's possible. But, I mean, who knows? There's always. Things can be much different 60 years from now, and uh, but I, I just can't see it happening. Um, but I, I do want to ask you, you've had some incredible guests on NBA Flashback. You know, this episode is obviously amazing, and everyone should check it out. But for anyone who may have missed your past episodes, can you share some of the past guests and topics you've covered? Yeah, we've we've had um, we've had quite a few, and we've had a lot of really great ones. Uh, the first one that we had um, was with uh, Hubie Brown. And he went back to Bernard King, um, Christmas Day game when the Knicks play in the Nets. And it, to me, that was a really um, that was a really special way to start things off because Hubie, um, as I'm sure you feel, is just one of the all time greats and is such a brilliant basketball mind. His recall of things and how he's able uh, to really break down not only the play and what's happening on the floor, but the feel from the coaches and uh, me covering the Nets and obviously being in New York and how much not just with Bernard King, but Albert King we see around, I I think, just kind of going through that game, going back and watching. what it means to be a Christmas Day game. That's when we kicked off the podcast. Uh, that was a really fun one. And more recently, we had Vince Carter on uh, to commemorate his dunk contest as we were heading into All-Star Weekend. And there's so many things that I think you you learn from players uh, when they are talking about their craft or, or what it is that's important to them. And I think the, the Vince episode in particular shed a lot of light for me on, you know, we we know players have certain things that they really care about or are passionate about, obviously, you know, winning and and the practice they put in, but Vince went into, and I don't want to share too much, but he went into how he imagined, you know, from the time he was in high school and all through college, but he would film every uh, dunk contest Mm -hmm. and go back and watch. And his dream was one to be in the NBA, but also to be in the NBA so he could participate in the dunk contest. And, walked us through every single dunk and you know it's stuff like that to me that I thought um really kind of gave a deeper look and a deeper dive into you know what was happening and how they were able to um you know to really um dig into things that mattered and were important to them and I think we go through a lot of different episodes whether we're we're looking at big moments from you know from Kobe from Shaq um you know I can't now I'm trying to remember all of them um (laughs) but just the players teammates uh that that had such a a good insight into what it was like playing alongside because a lot a lot of the individuals we had not necessarily the superstars but um but having an opportunity to to kind of shed a little light on what it was like playing in some really amazing moments with some really important um, pieces and players that have made an imprint on this league. And so that's, that to me is the fun part of, of this podcast and of getting a, a different look or a different perspective on games or situations that we've watched. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, without getting you in trouble, do you have any future guests or topics that you can mention here? Or do you have a dream guest or dream topic that you'd want to cover? Oh, there's no future guests that I can at this point shed light on um, just because I don't want to get into trouble. And I also don't. Yeah, I don't. I I have a lot of people that do a lot of a lot of amazing work that I don't want to. Now that I'm thinking about a dream guest. um, 
that's a really, really, I mean, I think, I think there's a, a lot we would, we would layer in and dream guess. Um, yeah. I mean, I, when I start tossing out Nate, I mean, I think I'm born and raised in Chicago and mm. would Michael Jordan, would Michael Jordan ever come on my podcast? You know, like, would, can we, can we start, uh, can we start dreaming really big? Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Go back, go back to that team. No, I give, I give Richard Jefferson a hard time. Obviously I have the great fortune of working with him. Um, on the yes network broadcast and so i i tell him i'm like we're probably it would have to be in accordance with either you playing with with jay kidd or with lebron um it's it's never going to showcase you Uh, (laughs) but no but uh but yeah but i think i think there's just so many great moments in the league and whether it's more currently whether it's dating back to decades ago I, i think that's a fun part of continuing to to kind of dive into some of those some of those moments that i think we all in in some ways remember have different recollections of and to have an opportunity to relive it to the with the people that were in you know in the buildings and around the team or with the team or on the team um is something that's really fun no for sure and again the fact that you have access to the nba vault and you know they're helping make superstar players available like the access is unmatched so everyone make sure you guys check out nba flashback uh i do want to ask you a few questions about the nets you mentioned that you also cover the nets for yes network so i have to ask you about ben simmons uh we aren't sure when he's gonna make a season debut but how do you think he fits with this nets team i think when so yeah maybe a little bit of time uh we're still waiting on when he will make his debut just with uh sean marks recently talked about his um talked about his sore back and, and just kind of not exactly knowing the timeline, but I think just in general, when he is healthy and available to play, uh, it'll be a tremendous fit alongside the pieces of this team in playing to his strengths. So when you think about Kevin Durant, obviously there's still some question marks about the eligibility of Kyrie Irving at home games and with the changing mandates and what that will look like. But in a, in a general sense, you got a lot of scores on this team with, you know, maybe one of one of the greatest of all time in Kevin Durant and the potency of Kyrie Irving, someone like Patty Mills. Uh, you got a, a multitude of bigs that you could slot into that. Seth Curry now on this team as a shooter. And so Ben Simmons with the dominance he can bring on the defensive end with how he pushes the pace and is able to find so much in transition. Um, and, and he's a player too, that with his size, with his passing ability, with his ability to facilitate, I think so many of the things that the Nets need and some of the gaps they could, they could use to fill is, is things Ben brings to the table. And so many people focus on, you know, how he is, not a, a very good shooter, a very willing shooter um, when it comes to the perimeter. But I think that's the you know that's an area that Brooklyn isn't necessarily looking for. What they're looking for is defense. They're looking for rebound. They're looking for a passer. They're looking for someone who can push the pace. And I think for all of those reasons, that's what Ben brings to the table. And so I, I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism with how he'll be able to fit in. It's just about you know him actually getting on the court and getting a chance uh, to be healthy and available for the team. Yeah, I love the fit, too, as far as, you know, the players around him, but also the fact that you have KD and Kyrie who can kind of, you know, take some of the spotlight off him, too, if he does need some time to kind of get acclimated and everything there. So, yeah, it seems like it's kind of the dream situation for for Ben. So I'm hoping he can play soon and it'll be a lot of fun watching him. I'm curious, though, the Nets have really been struggling recently. Odds makers still have them as one of the top, you know, contenders. Do you think this team can get healthy and flip that switch in time to make a title run? I think it's all about getting healthy. 
uh, my, you know, just in, in watching the team and understanding the pieces, there's a, a really great mix of veterans with some youth, I think because of injuries, because of COVID, because of a variety of things, some of the depth of this group and, and whether it's the younger players or just bottom half of the rotation have gotten a lot more minutes than you would anticipate. And I think there's a good feel of connectivity amongst everyone. So to me, it's less about finding ways to, to build a chemistry and having a long runway for that. It's more about just getting guys healthy and getting guys on the floor. And I think, you know, the fact Kevin Durant just recently coming back, he changes the complexion dynamic of how this team plays. And so his health is of utmost importance. But with him on the floor, he is such a fluid fit for anyone and how he is so um, easily just adaptable to whatever players are around him, players in the same manner, of course, uh, how they can complement him and how much easier he makes the game for them. So, and similarly with how Kyrie plays. So from my perspective, I think there was a lot of discussion on this. Obviously things have changed, but with Kevin Kyrie and James, and we saw how they uh, were able to adapt so quickly in the small sample size they had on the floor last year. To me, there, there's a lot of similarities and the way in which they will integrate themselves, it just continues to come back. And I know Nets fans are, t- are tired of, of asking these questions or wondering about <laughs> this, but just comes down to actual health and availability to all be on the floor together. For sure. Last question for you. You've had a ton of success as a broadcaster. You know, you were the first female full-time analyst for an NBA team. What advice would you give someone who wants to become a sports broadcaster who, you know, maybe, you know, is thinking about what they want to go to school for? If, if they want to go down that path, what advice would you give them? I, I would say make sure that um, you just follow your passions. And for me, sports was always my greatest passion. And I wanted to feel the adrenaline rush uh, that I got as a player and the idea of challenge and the idea of constant preparation and and growth. And I've found that in broadcasting, it was something that the sports aspect was one thing, but um, the actual broadcast part of it was a little outside my comfort zone. And, um, and I think I love that aspect of it and the ways in which you could prep and work and research for it. And ultimately, um, I decided to continue to pursue this career because of that. It was a great challenge each and every day. And I got to be around people that inspired me. And I got to be around the one thing that I love most, and that was sports. And so I, I think the concept of it is no matter what business you're getting into and what career, and Alex, you know this as well as anyone, um, there are going to be an extraordinary amount of challenges and, and times that it is not going to be easy getting from from one point to the other. And so you got to make sure it's something that you wholeheartedly want and are ready to grind through. And I think if that's the case, um, then at the end of it, what I also learned, if you are already in it, uh, make sure you just be yourself because mm-hmm. there is so much about this business um, that is subjective. There is so much about this business that it is, you know, it is... It, you are public. So there is room for critique. There's room for criticism. There is all, it it is all about uh, opinions. And so as long as you stay true to yourself, as long as you um, are who you are, do what you believe in, do all the work and all the prep, um, remember what matters most. And I, I have always said this, what matters most to me is about being a good person and so at the end of the day, regardless of what you think of me as a broadcaster or the job I feel like I do, or if I feel like I could have had a better call um, on one thing or another, 
to me, it's all about, okay, how did you treat people in this day? What did you do for others? Um, were you the person that you wanted to be? And I think that's the one thing that I always, always circle back to. And that that spreads across any career, whether you want to talk about broadcasting or being in any other business, I think, uh, remember what's most important to you. And, and that's the, the one thing that should always matter. I love it. Very well said. Sarah, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. Thank you for having me, Alex. Hopefully we'll get to do it again. Absolutely. Everyone, make sure you guys check out NBA Flashback. Sarah does a fantastic job. Check out the Wilt episode, obviously, but then all the other episodes that we talked about too. They've had so many great guests on there, so many great topics. So check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>